What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark State. And a huge, huge thank you, as always, to the people who keep this podcast going. That's those wonderful people on Patreon who support us via Patreon and also the folk in the Bestseller Academy, our academates. They keep those wheels rolling. They keep us trucking. We've got two new patrons this week as well. Make room, everyone. Budge up. Make some room at the back for Jenny Williams and Jen O'Ryan. Thank you both for joining us. It's wonderful to have you on board. Get in there. Have fun with all those deep dives and all that extra bunts that we we have for our, our, our podcast supporters, our Patreon supporters. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. And and just so people realise, patron supportage is not just for people called Jen or Jenny. So if your mm. name begins with an yes. ABC all the way up to Z, come and join us. Come and join in the fun. But thank you so much to everyone who's making this podcast happen. So, Mr. Stay, you had a bit of an exciting week, didn't you? Blimey. Uh, Where did you start? Still- Buzzing. I'm still buzzing. So, um, new book came out, Ghost of Ivy Barn, uh, had a launch party, and it was everything I wanted it to be and more. It was just incredible. So, we had this um, had a launch party at Waterstones in Canterbury, and first in-person launch party since the end of Magic, and the first in-person launch party for the Woodville books. And um, it was uh, incredible. We, you know, we had a whole bunch of people and it went out live as well. We live streamed it too. Uh, We had cake, we had witches and wizards. We had George dressed as a ghost. We had a special little extra bit for people watching it online. One of my old teachers turned up. This is is brilliant because one of my teachers, Miss Maloney, who taught me at Woodville School in Leatherhead. And um, she she was one of those teachers who told me, yeah, actually, you good at this writing like you should keep at it and she introduced me to Ursula Le Guin and the Earthsea book so it triggered that whole fantasy love of fantasy she came with her son and with her granddaughter and her granddaughter's reading the book now and she emailed me today and she said oh it's so good um so I, and and the thing is this book is dedicated to three of my teachers. So there's Miss Godfrey, Mrs. Godfrey, who taught me at Duncombe School in North London, who, mm. you know, said, you know, be creative, be creative. Um, Miss Maloney at Woodville in Leatherhead, who, you know, as, as I said, encouraged me. And also to uh, Mrs. Wright at Thurfield in Leatherhead, who, you know, got me, got me writing seriously as well. And she didn't know that until she picked the book up and saw the dedication. So no she was kind way. Of blown away. Yeah. Well, I was about to ask, had she come along because she'd heard about the dedication, no, so no, she didn't she... know. <laughs> wow. Did you get Did you get a reaction when she found that? Because that must be a magical moment for a teacher. 
It well, it was it was wonderful. We had a photo together. She doesn't do photos very often, but we had a photo together, and oh. it was very special, and it was great, and it was very very totes emotion. Um, so yeah, that that was it was great, and yeah, I signed loads of books. I it was you know, I've, and I got my stamp, you know, and everyone got a free bookmark. Uh, I, I met listeners, and we had list podcast listeners come along, including. Inkborn Blade, you know, the guy who did his 200 words on the morning of his wedding, he was yeah. there and his wife came too, so they're still together. That's good. Oh, uh, that's lots of, many years of happiness to all of you. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, – and it was one of these things as well. We were – you know, because it's quite a lot of technical gubbins going on. Five minutes before it was all due to start, we had six people in the audience and the Wi-Fi went down. And I thought, oh, great, six oh. people. The Wi-Fi went down tech team jumped into you know got back online immediately and then suddenly everyone came in everyone comes and in f- i know f- why do people f- do that <laughs> it drives me bonkers it it's almost like it's almost like they're all just waiting outside yeah, the room. Yeah, it's yeah. like right we're gonna do a flash mob don't tell him don't tell him ready ready all right everyone running because it, <laughs> every it's single event nerves, man it is awful for your nerves yeah. but actually you know it's good for people to realize that when you look back you know and you actually see just how many people everyone shows up two minutes late I mean, it's just what we do, you know, and it's guilty as charged. And, but I think that's, that's fantastic to get that many people coming along. But I was going to ask as well, because I mean, in the old days, it was about, you know, filling some chairs in a room and chatting with people. There were no cameras. There was definitely no Wi-Fi um, and sometimes no bookshop, but how much extra work is it? Because you've done, obviously you've now over COVID, you did a lot of book launches just on, you know, and I say just, but like online and it, but, and there was a lot of whizzy stuff going on, but it was, it felt almost like a, I I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was watching it and I couldn't believe how you actually had multiple (laughs) camera angles. You would, there was like, there were moments where you were talking and then there was like a shot of someone laughing in the audience. I'm like, this is like a TV show. Like what? So how much how much work goes into planning something like that? And well, look, would you I, recommend it to other people listening? This, this is where I have to thank Douglas Ray. Uh, Douglas Ray is a listener. He lives in Canterbury. He dropped me a line and said, um, I've got this bit of kit and it's a little box, like size of a shoebox, and it's got these little buttons on it where you plug cameras into it and you can switch between cameras. I looked it up. It's quite a pricey piece of kit this is not something you can just run out and get it's yourself you're like 9.99 on amazon then it's like 460 quid or something wow. like that and it, and it just does this thing and it's terrific and it were and kai um my uh, daughter's boyfriend who lives with us brilliant camera operator who's filmed my trailers uh his camera is the same brand so they all connects up it was wonderful because kai was doing it douglas was doing it they're nerdily talking about iso and stuff before you know the, and the lighting and everything is great so you know it is it was was quite technical this is not something where I, you can go oh, anyone can do this you know it's it is quite techy but Douglas said, yeah, I can do this. And we, we met beforehand and he showed me the kit. He said, yeah, we'll switch, switch between camera one, camera two. He said, we could even have a remote camera, you know, moving around. I was like, no, let's keep it simple. <laughs> let's, let's put a drone in the room for, you know, just, just for fun. <laughs> you know what? He could, you know, and uh, our, yeah. our friend Jeremy is qualified to fly camera drones. So, you know, we could, oh. we could, we could I have I thought the drone, that. when you talked about a ghost last week, I thought drone because I was actually in a theatre production once 
and they had Tinkerbell. It was Peter Pan, and Tinkerbell was a drone, and it really? flew. It flew over the heads of the audience, and and there were quite wow. an elderly population in the audience. And I was quite concerned about that drone like <laughs> losing power. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. It would have been quite a spectacular finish to Tinkerbell, and possibly a couple of people in the audience. But um, but no, it was really well done. I, I was I was kind of blown away how how you set it up, and um, and awesome just to be able to do it in a in a bookstore. And ironically, I mean, I don't know, I'm sure you see the the kind of beauty of this cycle that's happened, but you started life working in Waterstones, if I'm yeah. if I'm right. I mean, obviously yeah. there was all the dodgy stuff we did before, like video store and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. but Waterstones is where you started working and actually writing, as yeah. people will have listened to the podcast prior, will have, will know about those stories. And isn't it an amazing circle that you've now with the launch of your third book you're actually an author in waterstones with cameras and an audience yeah. i mean it's yeah bonkers isn't it really when you think it, it was it was pretty crazy it was it's pretty crazy and we were we, we, the other thing is is we we have a bit right towards the end where the camera cuts to an empty bookstore and all you can see is george and his ghost uh, costume and makeup and he comes right up to the camera and we had to pre-record that so we did that about 20 minutes before the whole thing happened as well and there are people wandering we had to wait for people to stop wandering around in the back and making noises like okay action George go and he did it and he you know it took three takes but we got it you know so but yeah it was it was it was weird uh, what's also weird is on the Friday the day after the launch my publisher uh, said, okay, there's um, three Waterstones in Kent. They've got your book. Uh, you can go there and sign them. So Friday, I was driving around Kent, going from bookshop to bookshop, going into car parks, you know, paying for my parking. I thought, going into bookshops, I thought, hang on, I'm a bloody sales rep again. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but the only thing is, I can't claim the mileage. You know, so it was, uh, But it was great. I went to uh, the Waterstones in Thanet, who, who I know well, and they were wonderful. I went to um, the Waterstones in Ashford, which opened just before I stopped being a rep. So I'd only been in there a couple of times, and they were lovely and really friendly. They talked about doing an event later in the year. Um, and then I went into Waterstones Tunbridge Wells, which used to be you know, a mainstay. And it, the shop hasn't changed a bit, frankly. It was like stepping back. I was walking through. It was like stepping back in time. It was so strange. But I had a lovely day signing stock for all those stores. Um, so, yeah, it's been... It's been it's been weird. It's been weird. But if you want to watch it again, uh, I'll put a link in the show notes uh, so you can watch it. Uh, we we open with some uh, my trailer and a couple of other video bits, and then we go live. Um if if you want to come to another event, I'm doing another event uh, with FMA Dixon, who's been on the podcast at the Little Green Bookshop in Herne Bay on July 30th, 6.30. And I'm doing a signing with David Lee Stone, who was on a couple of episodes ago. And what a reaction we've had to that episode uh, at Warstone's Thanet on Saturday, 27th, August, uh, 12 to 2. I'll put links in the show notes for those. You're going to well. have to realise yeah. on your website, Mark, you're going to have to have a gigs tab now. No, I do. No international tour. I do. I do have a diary you and events tab. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, baby. Oh yeah. When's, when's, the, when's the world tour T-shirt? I want a world tour T-shirt. <laughs> but for people, okay. So, but this is fun because for people who, you know, might just be listening to this podcast for the first time, or they may be listening to this for a number of years, but they're they're starting to write their first book. They're coming up to finishing their first book. I mean, what's really important to take from all this, folks, is that a book launch doesn't just have to be about you sticking it on Amazon and sitting by yourself with a cup of tea and saying, 
yay, my book's live. I'm now an author. It's not, it, there's so much more that you can do. What, what, what advice would you give people if it's, say, their first book and they're thinking of doing something on some kind of scale where they're going out into the public? What do you think they should be thinking about doing? I think um, cozy up with a local bookshop. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a massive bookshop. It doesn't have to be a big Waterstones. It could be a local indie or it could be a library. Or it could, if it's something that ties in thematically, maybe maybe there's... Like location, know, maybe. If yeah, it's, a location. Yeah, hmm. exactly, exactly that. Um, just remember, it's not about having a big crowd. It's celebrating the publication of a book. Uh, so don't expect there to be hundreds of people. Um put on a show i think you know i mean it's you know what you i don't i don't want to put pressure on people to have it all singing and dancing the way that that i was because we had we had you know we had merlin and raven there and a guy called andrew and they're all uh witches and wizards all dressed up you know um and thank special thank you to them for coming as well um so you know find your own level what you're comfortable with if you just want a few friends and a bit of cake uh, you know, you can do that. If you want to go kicking and dancing and um, and um, make it all, you know, all fancy, then do that as well. But the thing is, it's not about selling books either. You don't necessarily sell a lot of books. It's a celebration. It's something that gives you something to put on social media as well and go, hey, look at this. This is amazing. People are celebrating the launch of a book. Or, you know, if you prefer, just do it online because that's a totally legit option now. Well, it can be it can be an easier way for some people to just kind yeah. of, and I mean, because yeah. you know, going full on. I think the idea of going to a local bookshop, I think everyone should do that because I think even yeah. if it's just getting a few friends and it's using that as a location brings people in the shop. Book book sellers love that, yeah. but yeah, maybe an online so that you can get friends in, but you can also get other people around the world who might not be able to attend in person. But, but I do you, think it's important to 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 mark that occasion. Because that's the yeah. thing we don't do in life enough. We don't mark occasions. We don't have enough moments in life where we we actually say, this is really important. Especially if we've all been locked away for two years, you know, yeah. as well. But uh, even but- even without that, I think even before COVID, people people did not... We, we all hit these milestones and then we just rush through them. And then, we're, then the next day we're thinking, right, what, what do I want to do next? Or, oh, is that it? Okay, what, what do I do next? It's about stopping and pausing and taking a breath and acknowledging the importance of that moment and the accumulation of all the work that you've done, all that hard work you've done to write that book. Um, I mean, when we, when we launched back to reality, obviously we did that kind of 24 hour. Yeah. yeah and we, and we were lucky cause we had an audience. We had this podcast. We, yeah. we got to celebrate with everyone. But I, I remember like after we finished that, podcast you know i went back into the house and jen had set up a surprise party and there was like 25 <laughs> people there and we just we had some cake and it was just lovely it was just yeah, and it was special and it's those it, for me the moments are this is this is the key it's at the end of the year when you look back and say what were the highlights of my year i guarantee you mr stay your book launch is on that list already isn't it yeah, right? yeah absolutely and, and that's what it's about it's like it's about uh, what i like to call dwls days well lived and days well lived, uh, you know, we don't get many of them a year, really, when no. you stop and think about all the really, those days when you go to bed and you're just like buzzing or you're like, wow, that that was a day well lived. And I think we all need as many DWLs as possible in life. Because that, that adds up to a LWL. <laughs> Life, Life well, well lived. lived. Yeah, well, you got it, mate. <laughs> I'm catching on. After nearly six years, I'm catching on. Uh, also, just to say, if you you have to promote the socks off this, 
Uh, you can't just assume people are going to show up. Uh, and this means daily scheduling daily tweets, putting stuff on on Facebook. Because, you know, and inviting I, I, people by email yeah. directly works yeah. as well, actually. The yeah. personal touch definitely works. You know, because on the day I had three or four people message me saying, I'm so sorry I can't make it. I was going to make it, but I can't make it. And, you know, you just, that's when the knees start knocking. But you do have to do that. I mean, I had someone yesterday, someone who follows me on Twitter, is a big fan of the books. And they said, Oh, I didn't realise your third book was out. <laughs> you know, know, and right? I, I carpet bomb Twitter with the stuff, but you have to remember, Twitter is a gushing river, a, mm. or sewer. Some people might say <laughs> um, of, of of content. You know, and people aren't on there all the time, hanging off your every word. So just putting up one tweet, going, "I'm having a launch party," and then wondering why no one has shown up. Yeah, you know, you've got to you've got to get um, serious about this stuff. Absolutely brilliant. Well, talking about getting serious, we have the return, the return of an author who was very much influenced career-wise by this very podcast. <laughs> so tell us, tell us about our special guest today, Mark. Oh, he's so close to our hearts, Mr. Mike Shackle. Um, Mike has well, he's lived all over the world. He's originally from London, but he's lived in Hong Kong, Singapore, Beijing, New York, Dubai. He now lives in somewhere called Vancouver. Uh, not too far from you, Mr. D. Mm. And he's done all sorts. He's sold washing machines. He's cooked for royalty. He's designed logos. He's made ads. Um, but he's uh, he's written an amazing trilogy, the Last War series, published by Golantz. Uh, and the first in the series is We Are the Dead. Uh, the second is A Fool's Hope. And out this week is the final book in this series, Until the Last. Now, Mike... Uh, has been on the podcast before, and I'll put links to these in the show notes as well. Uh, episode 210 in an episode called Never Give Up, Never Surrender, which is very apt. And he also joined us as his alter ego, because he also self-publishes under the name Mike Morris. Um, and also, he's written a children's book too, under the name Mike Arthur. And we talk about that a bit in the, in the interview. And I'll put a link in the show notes to that as well, so you can check that out. But... Mike is very close to our hearts. Uh, he talks about why scrapping drafts has become a part of his process, how sketching and drawing has helped inspire him. And we compare his experience indie publishing and traditional publishing. And last but not least, we talk about how the bestseller experiment made him the writer he is today, which might be <laughs> overstating it, but it just might be. I don't know. We'll see. But it was a joy to speak to Mike. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to the two of us speaking with the lovely, lovely Mike Shackle. Mike Shackle, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How on the devil are you, sir? Really, really good. Very excited to be here chatting with you both again. It's absolutely lovely to see you, Mike. And I was going to say, uh, I'm. if anyone's watching this interview on YouTube, I'm feeling <laughs> very, very jealous right now because Mr. Stay and Mr. Shackle both have Lots of memorabilia in the background, uh, Star Wars, Marvel. It looks like you've got quite a collection there, Mike. What, is, this, is this something that started at childhood? Well, you know, it did. I, I became completely obsessed before I could read with Marvel comics. Um, my friend next door had an older brother and he had all these really cool black and white um, Marvel comics reprints that they used to do in the UK. And I used to just love looking at the pictures, but I couldn't read. And I actually 
learned how to read very early because I was obsessed with these comics and I wanted to know what was going on. And my parents tried banning me from reading them for a while because I started getting really bad nightmares and everything else. But I think that was just my imagination being <laughs> kick-started by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, and then Star Wars <laughs> happened when I was about seven. So basically my mental progression stopped at that age. Um, and I've just stayed obsessed with all the same things ever since. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, we, Mike, we last spoke to you in episode 210, which feels wow. like a whole lifetime ago in this podcast. But for people who are new mm. to the podcast, give us a, give them a very quick kind of potted history of what happened up to that, you know, up to that point, all the crazy journeys that you've been on. Well, I, I, I mean, I think my whole writing career is, is timed perfectly with the history of the podcast because I, I'd, I'd been writing in my spare time. <laughs> I'd written three books, I think, and had got really nice rejections from agents and hadn't got um, anywhere. And I was on the verge of giving up. And, and I saw uh, Joe Abercrombie tweeted about his interview with you. Um, and I, I looked it up and I remember being really annoyed that I couldn't just read the interview. I'd never listened to any podcast of any sort before. <laughs> and I, I was really angry that I had to download this, you know, app and, and listen to it. Anyway, but in, in that, <laughs> he came out with a typical Joe Abercrombie bit of advice about, you know, the only way you can guarantee success is to keep going. He said, the longer you dance naked in the rain, the better the chance of being hit by lightning. And that just really made me realize that I could only guarantee not to make it as a writer by giving up. But if I carried on, if I wrote another book or another book after that, um, I'd always have a chance of getting get, not getting published, having people read it, all those sort of basic sort of ambitions that we have. Um, so I sat down, I wrote a list of the things I like reading books about. Um, and then We Are the Dead came from that. Um, and it happened very quickly. It was about six months from start to finish in writing it but uh, I, I was probably it was probably the first time when I, I had a vague idea of how to write as Mark's holding up my book there for those on YouTube we day. I'm totally prepared and don't have any next <laughs> um, but no but it, it there was something I, I just felt really re-energized by that and 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 then I, I you know and I was listening to your podcast every week then and it always seemed like there was a new nugget of information that was helping me become better at what I was doing and you both mentioned um, John York and Into the Woods and the structure of stories and I read the book and then signed up for his course because you you had this kind of 50% off um, offer going on uh, you know and I snatched that up and, and I did that and it, it was all these things happening at the same time that kind of got me into this place where it allowed me to level up enough to get past getting nice rejections. Um, and and I, I, ha I had an agent once um, who, who liked a book I'd written but said it was unpublishable. Um, and then we'd stayed in touch and, and I told him what I was writing. And, and he said to me, well, I'd, I'd love to read it you know, just off the premise. So I sent it to him. He was the only one um, that had seen it. And um, he wrote back to me a week later and said, I, I want to rep you. And we worked on it together for a little while. Um, and then in January of, I don't even know what year we're in now, January, whatever it was. <laughs> doesn't really matter anymore, does it? Yeah, back, back then, it, you know, we sent it out. It went off to all the publishers. We had a lot of interest. There was an auction and, and a, 
Galant signed me to a three book deal Fantastic. Um, on my birthday, which was amazing. So it, it was like all my, you know, and, and Galant was always the publisher I wanted to be with. I mean, I, I love all the other publishers. They're all great. <laughs> and if I ever send them my books, it's because I love you now. Um, but no, but uh, Galant's have been fantastic and they were my dream. And it was just like, yes, I've written a great book. Yes, I've got an agent. Yes, I've got my dream publisher. And it all happened really, really quickly um in book publishing terms um it was yes. quite amazing really so because when we last spoke to you you were at the beginning of this the journey so i've got yeah. we are the dead here and i've got a false hope here and here we are it's you know this will be released in july 2022 until the last wraps up the last war series yeah first of all can you can you tell us what it how it feels like to complete this I mean, this is a. These are not slim books. These are proper chunky epic. Fa- if you love your epic fantasy, folks, I mean, feel the weight of that. That is quality. So, uh, you know, this is. Uh, what does it feel like to complete an epic trilogy and um, and 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 to complete, you know, that contract to complete that dream to bring it to an end? Well, I, I mean, it's really funny because when I first pitched the idea, I wanted to write five books. Right, I was like, it's definitely a five book series, and my agent was like, they'll only buy three. And glance like three is the magic number. So basically mm. each book gets longer, you know, because I had to get five <laughs> books worth of material in. So, you know, the first book was about 150,000. The second one was 200,000. And then the third one's 250,000. So they're chunky, chunky books. And, and then you get all these random characters that suddenly started coming in that made it bigger and more sprawling and, and, that was challenging because when you've got five or six point of view characters, each one's got to have their own story. They've got to go through their own arc. Mm-hmm. And in many ways it's having six identical novels all happening at the same time that you have to weave in. And, and when I, uh, and I had a plan for the books um, cause you have to, when you sell it to the publishers, they're like, well, what are the other two books about? And you write in a day, you know, this is what could happen. And, and I, I stayed relatively true to that, but I didn't as well because the story took me off in different directions and I'm a terrible planner. And my characters then refuse to follow my plans anyway because they, they become very <laughs> lifelike in my mind. Um, so it, it was really challenging. And, and then when I was writing the second book, you go from... I want to get published. Can I get an agent? Suddenly I've got a deal. The expectations of being good. And you're like, what if this was just a fluke? What if I blew it all on that first book? And and that doubt I found really difficult in the second one. Um, and then you get these moments when the story's not working, right? You've driven down that cul-de-sac and you're looking at the map and you're like, I don't know how I got there. I don't know how to get out. And you need to backtrack. And I ended up scrapping two drafts um, oh. at 65,000 words. Both times? The same? Uh, I, well, on, on, I did it twice on a, a Fool's Hope, right? Uh, and, I oh, had wow. to, and I had to go back and, and really sit down and work out where it had gone wrong. And, and you don't really know because it's just this instinctive, this isn't working. And part of that maybe is insecurity and doubt, but then there's also this it's not working. Um, and I, I found that really difficult and a very lonely place to be in, um, to then try and then backtrack enough to then get back on the right road 
and get to the end. And, and I, I remember sending the book off to my agent, my editor, and I just thought they were going to write back and go, what the, have you done? <laughs> you know, this is, this is terrible. You know, that was, I was really expecting that. And, and they wrote back again, this is great. It's a couple of tweaks and maybe we could move this and what about that? And, you know, really minor structural changes. And I'm like, have they read the book? Do they care about it? Like, why are they happy with this thing? And then, then it comes out and the reviews are all, this is so much better and this is an amazing book too. And you're like, oh, wow, I, I didn't blow it. And then you start writing the third one and that weight of insecurity that was there on the second one has just now doubled in size, right? Because now you've got to end it, right? You've got to, you've got to and I, I've always written, I've never held anything back. I've never had an idea and I thought, I'm going to save that. Mm. for this point right it's always been i'm going to write as if this is the last book i'm yeah. ever going to write and i'm going to leave everything on the page um and i also had this rule that no one was safe that i didn't care if they were one of the stars of the book right if if you're going to die you're going to die and there isn't going to be any getting out of what happens um and and that was quite brutal writing of that in mind because you get to these moments and you're really attached to these characters and you're like well you know i'm sorry but you know bye there's curtains <laughs> and you get and you get readers writing to go oh my favorite character is x you know i really love them and you're like oh dear you know, <laughs> what have i just done to them you know um but uh, and then writing that third book and then the pandemic happened right and, and mm. my, my books are quite dark books. And especially when it first started, I couldn't get myself into that headspace to write in, in my world just because I, I was worrying about everything else mm. that was going on. And I, I ended up doing a cartoon series of just family life every day because I needed to do something. I needed to be creative. And I needed almost the complete opposite of my last war books i needed something really warm and fuzzy and calvin yeah. and hobsey to make me feel good about life and i ended up doing a, a, a children's book for my my daughter um you know which i, I wrote and illustrated but it, it was like I, you know i've got this contract out there that's waiting for me and, and in the end i was just like i have to you know because i was living by two weeks by two weeks at that point you know you think this is all going to be over and then when i realized it was going to go on i had to sit down and write and finish this monster but again I, I scrapped the book halfway through again um probably about a hundred thousand words in and started again uh, mike what so, what keeps you going at that point because just, i know there's a lot of people out there who they they'll get to that point where they've put in the equivalent of what for many people is almost a novel and a half a hundred thousand <laughs> words what what actually happens at that point? Because, I mean, you've been through it a few times before. What words of wisdom would you give people if they're staring at that manuscript and just thinking, I've got to start this again? I, the only thing that gives me comfort now is, I, unfortunately, I think it's part of my process. You know, and, and, <laughs> right. and it, it, I, I, I literally now, and I think I saw an interview with Ian Rankin where he, he's, he said, I always come down, I tell my wife it's not working. She'll say, oh, you're at 65,000 words, aren't you? You know, and, and, and I think there's that point where you, you're into the story and you know the characters and then you're asking yourself those really hard questions about is this really hitting the emotional points that I want? Am I really being true to this? Am I just taking an easy way out? 
And I think the difference mm-hmm. in the, the very first books I started writing is I didn't ask myself those hard questions and I carried on and I just wrote because you just want to finish a book. Um, and now I, I just accept it's my brain telling me you have to make this better. You have to really push what you're doing to to make it more exciting, more thrilling and and that stuff. So it is frustrating. But in book two, I was having a breakdown and, you know, going crazy. And and in book three, I just went, okay, there's things you need to fix in the story. And I, I think a lot of authors will finish the draft and then go, you know, the zero draft and go back and then start, yeah. rebuilding yeah. it where I, I, I can't, I, I literally have to go stop, look at it, pull the bit, you know, you don't scrap everything, right? They're, they're mm. character arts that are working and you pull the bits out and amputate the the bits <laughs> that aren't working. And, and it's just, unfortunately the way I work, you know, it's, it's just a painful process. And, mm. um, you know, so, someone said, you know, they don't love writing, but they have, they love having written. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and I've compared it to giving birth, and my wife just went, "You know nothing about giving birth, <laughs> right?" But, but but there is something, right? Because you carry this thing around, and it's uncomfortable, and it's difficult, and it fills your head up in so many ways where you become very difficult to be around. But then once it's done, you're like, "Oh, look at my lovely baby!" and isn't she beautiful? and and everything else like that. So. Whereas when you carry a novel around for nine months and then decide to scrap it and start again, that's a whole different kind of because you don't have the joy of the finishing, the the, the passing, yeah. the finish line in some ways. Uh, but it's it's weird because you know, I, and I, again, I really love that John York structure, right? That, that five arc structure that he has in the midpoint, and and if you actually put the three books down and and. You can run that spine through each each individual one, but you can run it through all the series. And the midpoint of book two is literally the mid, you know, it, it's the, that turning point that then makes everything else happen. So it, it works on that grand scale across the trilogy and then mm. on individual books as well. So, you know, I've been living with these characters in my head for five years. Um, and, you, you know, they're, they're, they're really fun to write. You know, even the really horrible ones are, are wonderful. <laughs> and I enjoy spending my little chapter with them and then going off and writing about someone else. You said that it's hard for, you know, readers to part company with the characters. Uh, how is it for you? I mean, is is this it for them or? There's quite a high body count in this one. <laughs> I was talking to my dad and it's like, there is going to be a happy ending, isn't there? There is like. You know, but I mean, it's it, it's a it's a war book. It, it, it is, and I've tried being really, really, you know, there's magic and there's flying people and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's war, and you know, it, it's not about the bullet that's got your name on it. It's all about all the ones that are marked to whom it may concern. You know, like you could be the hero, but if you run, take the wrong step in the wrong place, and and you're gone. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I cried at the end of writing it. I, I must admit there was a few tears shed. That's um, a good thing though, in some ways, Mike, isn't there? Cause I think if you just be like, right, done off down the pub and there was no kind of emotional connection to it, you'd be yeah. probably pretty worried. <laughs> no, you know, and, and I'm, I am really, 
And it is, as part of it, it's sad that I won't be writing about them again because it, I know the world and I know the characters. In many ways, it's it's easier. But now I'm starting a new book, um, and it's a new world with everything else. You, you're going through all those kind of pains again of taking steps out down streets you don't know too well, trying to work out who's lurking around the corners and and things like that, um, and then. You know, and I've used all my good ideas up now, right? I need to find the the more exciting ones. And, 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 and so there's different challenges with the new book, which is quite exciting. So tell us about the new book, Mike. What's what's following the trilogy? Um, well, well, I've actually written two other books between, since finishing until the last. I, I helped my good friend Mike Morris out with a, a couple of books. Um, and now I'm starting... Yeah, I can't, like, I can't really tell you too much. I'm really sensitive about you know because uh, actually that there is a, a another book came out recently which i i saw the cover reveal on twitter and i had a a shock because it was identical visually to what i'd been doing and i, I do a lot of illustrations of where i'm going with my work and i'd, I'd been posting a lot up and I'd, this thing came up and i went into panic about it because i thought it was exactly the same story um but in many ways it was good because that then forced me to go in a different direction that i'm really happy with or well, it's, it's set in a kind of fa- again fancy world french revolution the guillotine is in it a lot which i still can't spell on the first attempt <laughs> um, but yeah it, but it, it's it's much more a heroic story you know i i I didn't know I was writing a grim, dark fantasy when I wrote "We Are the Dead," despite the title. Um, <laughs> and I, I want to do something that's a, a lot more inspiring, a lot more heroic. Um, yeah, and I think the world needs that. I think the world's dark enough, right? There's, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that's going on 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 the the news and in different countries so horrific. I, I think people need heroes and and things to get excited about and escape to. And, and I, that's kind of where I am at the moment. Cool stuff. Now, I'd like to talk about your good friend Mike Morris in a minute, but before that, I just want to go back to your artwork because, folks, yeah. um, Mike's artwork, particularly the, the 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 cartoons you did for your family during lockdown, they were completely adorable and completely charming and totally wonderful. But also, doing you also do character art for your fiction as well. Yeah. What? How does that help having this? other outlet to explore these characters is is that something that you you've always done or was it something that you found particularly helpful during lockdown when things were feeling pretty dark um i do well i grew up on marvel comics right so i wanted to be a comic book artist growing up and you know i didn't want to write i just wanted to to draw and do visual stuff um you know and and then as you grow older you get all these people like well what are you going to do for a real career and you know, real people don't do jobs like that. You know, Britain in the eighties wasn't about being, you know, my, especially at my school wasn't about being creative, right? It was all about, you're going to have a business career and what are you going to do? Um, so I, I kind of stopped doing it for a, a long time. Um, but I, I went into advertising. I, I, my day job is in advertising as a creative director. Um, so I was doing that and the writing actually started very much as a way of me being creative without anyone to be responsible to. It was my little escape from my day job so I could make stuff and feel free doing it. And then when I sold the book, that creative escape became a very serious job. So I then needed something else that I could do that was creative 
Um, and then that allowed me to, to again, escape and not think about things. So I started drawing again. And I was doing, doing stuff with my son. He was obviously into superheroes and stuff. Um, and that really was my excuse to start off with, was like, I'm drawing a picture for my little boy and it's great, but really it was for me. You know, and you go out and buy more expensive pens and, and things like that. Um, and, and then it just became this other way of expressing myself. And especially during the, the beginning of the pandemic, it was, as I said, that escape to, to be funny about something that really was quite frightening um and laugh about the absurdity of fighting for toilet roll at 8 (laughs) a.m in the morning and and all those stupid things that we all had to go through and 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 again it started off it was like quick scribbles with marker pens and i went and got paint and i started you know that they got much better as i went along because i started taking more seriously (laughs) and then someone said oh you should publish this book and i was like well yeah but then i'd have to go back and redo all the really rough ones at the beginning and make it good so i've just I stopped that from happening, but I did about 60 cartoons, I think, wow. um, over the one a day over the first couple of months of the, the pandemic. There's something incredibly cathartic about drawing, isn't there? Especially during yeah. kind of unsettling times. But then, but then um, with, with the character art that I do, that really started, um, again, when I started signing books, right, I was thinking like, well, if I'm going to send someone a book, my signature is worth nothing, right? So what else can I do to make it? you know, that they'll look at it and go, wow, I got something quite cool. So I started doing doodles in the books that I signed for people of different characters and things like that. And then it got to the point where I'd ask them what their favorite characters were. And and I was really enjoying that. And, and then I was doing full-on paintings of how I saw them. Um, and again, it just really, it's, it's just a way of staying in that world, but not worrying about what you're producing and having fun. Um, and people seem to like them. So, uh, you know, again, I'm, if people tell me they like it, I'll keep on doing it. You know, it's, uh, I'll do anything for a brief hit of, uh, dopamine and, you're, you're doing, uh, some character art for the launch as well, aren't you? You're doing a sort of postcard giveaway thing. Can you tell us well, more well, about that? Well, that, 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 I haven't costed this outright, so, <laughs> right. you know, so, um, no, well, I, I did it with, um, uh, a fool's hope. There's a, uh, there was a chap who was working at Waterstones who's now set up a bookstop, a bookshop called the Broken Binding, um, which is a, you know, and he's, he's a brilliant online retailer and he really loves fantasy and he loves books um and he asked me to send him a load of signed book plates so he could stick them in the books and i said well if you can do that i'll I'll print up some postcards for you uh and you can send those out as well so it just made it a bit special um Mm. and, and now with the new one coming out again i was just thinking well what could i do for sellers like him or if people get in touch with me that I can post out that's a bit more than just getting a tiny little sticker from me in the post. So um, I've done four so far. They're black and white. I've written little comic book, you know, speech bubble things in it. So it's like a page from a comic book. Um, And the plan is to print them as a set of eight. I think it'll be about eight postcards um, that people like the Broken Binding or anyone can have. And I'll just post out. So, uh, yeah, it's an excuse for me to draw again and justify <laughs> spending all the money on the pens and the paper, you know. 
And your friend Mike Morris. Okay, so let, let's let's yeah. break this out now. So you you write as Mike Morris. Most recently, you've been writing the Cursed Sword Saga. So you've got He Who Fights, uh, The Hunted, and Once a Hero, which came out in March 2022. Do you approach the Morris books any differently to the Shackle books? Or is uh, do you go in with a different kind of not just a different name, but a different mindset? Well, yes, and no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, yeah, no, they are they are definitely different, but they didn't start off that way. I mean, when, when again, it's all your fault, right? I blame you for <laughs> everything in my life. But when I, I finished writing, <laughs> we are the dead. Um, I'd been laid off from my job. I needed to make some money, um, and you did the interview with Mark Dawson, and he was like, "I oh, make X million self publishing," and <laughs> and I'd always thought self publishing was for bad books that weren't good enough at that point. Um, and I, I read his books and then I started looking at fancy books and they're these, you know, incredible fancy authors that self-published like, you know, Rob Hayes, Ben Galley, um, you know, there's a, a great tribe of people that were doing it and I loved their books. Um, and they were as good as anything that I was reading from the mainstream publishers. And I thought, well, I've got these three books that I've written, you know, maybe if I release them, I can make some, money right i needed mm. you know whatever i made is is you know even if i made five dollars it was five dollars more than i got for them sitting in my um <laughs> you know bottom drawer so i released one which had got the most interest um from agents when i would written it and it it sold nothing it was a science fiction story about china ruling the world um and then so when that bombed i, I then looked at another one which is called Cry Havoc. And I actually rewrote it with the experience that I had and, and did the cover for it um, and, and put that out there. And it just took off. And, you know, at the time I thought it was because I was a genius and I'd done all the right covers and stuff, but <laughs> a lot of it was luck and, and people picking up on it and it, it took off. Um, and the reason Mike Morris became person was because I had interest in Mike Shackle and we are the dead. And I thought, well, if these bomb and people hate them, I didn't want to damage that brand. So I put them under the Mike Morris name because if he's a failure, then, you know, no one knows about it. It's fine. Um, and But he became very successful. Cry Havoc went top 10 in the US, top five in the UK. You know, it, it shifted serious, serious numbers. Um, and then after I'd sold Rather Dead, I was like, well, I better write another cry havoc but you know so i wrote there was cry fear and cry witch i did and and then the plan was always to write a, a mike shackle book then do a mike morris book and everything else but because a fool's hope and until last turned into these nightmare beasts i just didn't have the time so mike morris's sales so over the course of writing the glance books just went down to you know i'm not saying there was zero but it was you know, it was pretty terminal because I wasn't advertising. I wasn't putting new product product out there. Um, and, and then really after I finished until the last, I, I, again, I wanted to write, but I wanted to write without the weight of what had been on my back. So again, it was a, to, to get back into the Mike Morris world was a fun way to be creative without a deadline, without expectations, um, uh, and it was it was just great. And I, I wrote these two books. They're a hundred thousand words each, 
Um, and the way I see it now, um, I think Mike Shackle books are like cinema, right? It's like going to the movies and seeing this big epic Dune-esque mm. experience. And then the Mike Morris books are like watching The Mandalorian on TV. Nice. You know, the, it, it's an hour's entertainment. It's fun. It's You're not going to have to think too hard, but you're going to have fun while you read it and you're going to have a good time. Um, and for two ninety nine or three ninety nine, uh, whatever it is, uh, it's great value for money, right? And it's something that I can have fun doing as a way of purging what's gone before um, right. <laughs> and, and still create. So um, the plan is now to stick to that, do Mike Shackle, then a couple of Mike Morris books and, and see if I can keep it going. And when you said that the Mike Morris books took off, Mike, did you, was that, just a kind of a word of mouth algorithm thing that just naturally kicked in or were you really kind of playing the you know looking at all the marketing and doing all the best practices i, I could lie to you and say i don't know like uh, yeah no it was, it was pure fluke um no i had a nice cover right i had the hooded guy with a sword that mm. everyone loved on fancy covers and things like that um but the first book switchblade sold like 20 copies and that was probably my dad, my sister, you know, and people like that. And some of the reviews to start off with were quite scathing because if if you're an American and read it, they were the bad guys in the book and they were the terrorists. And, you know, a few people got upset about it. Um, so I then put this, this next book out with no expectations. It was 99p and it just started selling, right? And every day I was like, oh, I've done... 10 copies, oh, I've done 20 copies, oh, I've now done 30 copies a day. And I put the price up, and it just carried on selling. Um, and I, it, it was a lot of luck, really. And then when it hit the top 100, it, it then got visibility, and then that kicked it on further. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I'd like to say, I mean, it's a good book. It's a fun book, and it's, again, got all those. I wrote it very much as a fan who loved fantasy stories, you know, and I, I remember writing down the, the structure of Star Wars and the Matrix and that <laughs> classic hero's journey yeah. when I was trying to work out how to, to write a book. Um, and it's got all that, and there's a lot of naivety in it which kind of propels the character along because he's naive and he doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> um, and I, I, I think it's, people like it, and it's, it, it's still sold more copies than anything else I've written. Wow, That's incredible! You know, which is 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 quite funny, <laughs> and absolutely brilliant as well, <laughs> and and very inspiring as well to other people who are, you know, you know, like you talked about. There's a lot of people that have this kind of still a sense that you're never really going to be successful unless you I, sign to a I, major. I, and- I, I, I think the the wonderful thing and the disheartening thing is luck is so important to all of this right it's you can write the best book you've ever that's ever existed but you need all these other things in the universe to click into place sometimes to to help it take off um and then there's also stuff that can happen that you've got no control of you know launching a book called we are the dead as a pandemic hits um wasn't the best right you know it launched in the States two weeks after they'd locked the whole country down. 
you know, and I was doing a book launch here in Canada and we had to cancel because, you know, we're all shut in our homes. So there's, there's all this stuff that gets in the way of selling. There's also other stuff that happens that is quite marvellous, you know. And I, I keep looking back to that day I saw a tweet from Joe Abercrombie and saw about your podcast. That You know, that literally changed my life because I, I wasn't going to write. I was going to watch Netflix and hang out with my wife and <laughs> – be more productive with all that time I was agonizing in, you know, it's, uh, and that's where all the luck comes into it. And, and I, I think the, without getting too hippie, but I think the universe sometimes pushes you in directions um, that you're meant to go in. And same at the time when I lost my job, uh, Mike Morris came into existence. That was a very traumatic period for me. But from that, something else was born that I believe was meant to exist in the world. And, and sometimes you just got to sit back and go, this is an opportunity to break free from what I've been doing and going in a new direction that I want to go in, that I'm, I'm meant to go in. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, luck is out there and the universe is doing these things. And sometimes you just need to tune into it and, and go with the flow. That is yeah. very hippy dippy, Mike, and Mr. Sorry. D is loving it. Look at I'm loving look, it. Look at um, well, we're both on the west coast of Canada, so uh, I think we can own that totally. But yeah. I think I think you're right, Mike, and I think it's also it's really interesting what you said because I think there's a lot of a lot of authors out there. Well, we know there are a lot of authors out in the world, a lot of authors listening to this right now, who are on the verge of giving up, who are on the verge of never getting started. In many cases, it's like I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm never going to be an author. And yet your story is so inspiring because you've been in that place. You know, you lost, you know, you were made redundant. Um, you know, you, you're on the verge of giving up your writing, you know. And so what would you say to those people who are sit, sitting here right now going, wow, this sounds a bit like my story at the moment. What would you say to encourage them to keep going? Uh, <laughs> drink lots of gin tonic. No, um, <laughs> well, that helps. <laughs> no, no, but look, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I, I think... Um, writing isn't easy. And, and the reason most people give up is because it's difficult. It, it's a really hard process, right? <clears throat> you start off and you've got all the enthusiasm of I'm going to write. And then you get 5,000 words in and, you know, suddenly getting up early in the morning doesn't seem like a good idea. Or, you know, you want to watch that TV show instead of sitting down and writing. And, you, you know, as, as you say, you've got to make that habit of, writing and, and that's where the the real desire to create comes in because you've got to sacrifice all this other stuff um as you're doing it and 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 that moment i had was i realized i didn't care really if i got published i just wanted to make stuff um and i i didn't really care if anyone read what i was doing and once i freed myself of you know, I, I must do this, I must do that. And I thought, let's just make something that I'm really, really proud of. That, for me, was in many ways the turning point. You know, and, and you know, there is money in publishing, but there's not fortunes in it. You know, we're not, I'm not driving around in a, you know, Rolls Royce out there. It, it's, you, you got to do it because you love making stuff and love telling stories and, and you got to get that personal enjoyment from that the process to keep you going and I, I think that's where 
people fall out. And, and he, that, I saw a statistic actually about the amount of authors that finish their first contract and never publish again. Mm. And it's incredibly high. Yeah. Like the fallout rate. If you, and again, if we talk about, you know, the percentage of people that will sell a book and get an agent is minuscule. You get an agent to get a publishing deal is another slice go. And then you do those first books and it's a tough experience publishing, right? There's stuff that you don't know about that happens that can be quite disheartening at times and demotivating and you've got to always keep going. And I think it's something like 78% of authors don't do another series. Yeah. I mean, it's incredibly high. Yeah. And there's good reasons for that, right? So that endurance you build right in those first books and that determination and that kind of, I won't swear because this is a nice podcast, but <laughs> you've got to, you, you know, you, you've got to find whatever that is motivation to push yourself to keep going because there are barriers at every stage that will make you want to quit. Um, and, and in many ways, that's why I like having this kind of alter ego that can do stuff because it, again, you just free yourself for a while of all the demotivating stuff and you have fun and then you launch yourself back into running the marathon again, you know, and, and, and you get, you get ready to go and, and starting this new book. I know I've got three or four or five years if someone buys it, right? I'm still not guaranteed someone's going to buy it um, of, of these characters in this world. And that's a long time in your life to commit to something. You know, I don't know how long you've been writing the Woodfield books now, Mark, but they're, they're with you, aren't you? This is, it's a commitment now. Um, and you like, like, in it, like your marriage, like anything, it takes determination. You've got to go through the highs and lows of it all. Yeah. Mm. It is fascinating, and I think the fact that you're you're kind of working in that hybrid world as well, where you're you know self publishing under one name, and you have a traditional publishing contract another. In some ways, I think that can really help because it gives you a bit more of a sense of you know a balance of two different approaches. Because I do think a lot of people don't talk about the industry route where a lot of people i mean again we've seen this in the music as well like people go in they get signed to major labels and they get chewed chewed up and spat out and it can be it can be destroying for a career but having that independent route as well it just keeps that 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 balance and perspective and i think that's why today is such a different place to be compared to say even just 20 years ago where really there, there was only one option well and, and i think publishing is is you know it's in a state now where it's it's changing on such a massive level because there are fewer and fewer bookstores around. The amount of shelf space available for your category of books, right? So fancy books, you go into Waterstones, right? They're stocking Tolkien. They're stocking Robert Jordan. They're stocking Brandon Sardinson. They're stocking Joe Abercrombie, George Martin, you know, the the sellers that they shift a huge amounts, right? And in that one shelf, in that book, one bookshop, that leaves you actually maybe two shelves for new books and new authors to come through. So that the competition just to get into a bookshop is incredible now. So being mm. traditionally published is not a guarantee your book is going to be in a bookstore, right? And, and, so the, that whole dream of seeing your your book in a bookshop might not happen just because you've been signed by Orbit or Glance or 
whoever it is, right? So that's that's an eye opener in itself, right? So if you're going, well, if all my publisher is doing is putting me on Amazon or Barnes and Noble online or wherever it is, then what is the difference between self-publishing and and doing it right? Mm. And and then you go, well, but you get to work with all these great, amazing editors, but now most of those editors are working freelance anyway, right? So, again, it all comes down to money. If you have money, you can hire Chris McGrath to do your covers. You can go and speak to that amazing editor that you know and put them all together, and you can control your advertising yourself because, again, the trad publishers will push the launch, and then they move on to the next book they have to push launch to right so you get a hit and a bit of love for them for a a period of time and then it's up to you to keep that momentum going so again there are all these questions you have to ask yourself about where we're going with publishing and then you see people like brandon sanson who's basically used trad publishing to build a career and now it's going well i've you've invested all that money and built my audience for me. I'm now going to launch a Kickstarter and make $40 million. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, And you can't tell me Stephen King, if he's sitting there and if he can be bothered, you know, that there's an opportunity there to, to do that. Um, So uh, the, the, the routes people have are, are endless now. And, that the, the only thing trad publishing really gives you is that kind of, I'm serious, right? I, you know, if you talk to people and say I'm a writer and they say, well, you know, are you self-published or or not? You immediately get that kind of gravitas of, well, actually, I'm, you know, I'm with so-and-so. Um, but that's an ego thing, right? So if you don't care about the ego and you want to tell stories and you want to do it for a living, then there's so many ways you can do that now, which I think is really exciting. Yeah, mm. it's super exciting and it's more opportunity than ever, but more options than ever, which in itself brings a challenge because it's like, you know, you're standing in this pathway in the forest and there's like, you know, a thousand pathways. It's which one do I go down? Which one do I go down? And there's the stress of choosing the wrong well, one or not choosing uh, the right no, one. Yeah, I'm like, let's go down all of them. And that's the exciting thing about it all, you know. And then you end up in that cul-de-sac and you've got to backtrack and yeah. work out how to get there. But it, it's it's exciting. It, it it's, is exciting. What, and what I love about publishing is everyone I've met is fantastic, you know, really nice. And I, I come from advertising, which is a horrible backstabbing, <laughs> egotistical way to earn a living and and suddenly i'm every author i meet there's no competition everyone's book fans that want to tell you about their favorite authors and that great book you've just read and they want to give you a bit of advice and tell you how to navigate this this challenge and, and things like that it's the most supportive community and business that i've ever been involved in and, and even that helps you on the bad days and, and a, a reader writing a review or sending you an email, I don't think they realize how important that is because we are sat here on our own, trapped in our own heads with all the madness that goes on, in, well, particularly inside my brain. <laughs> you know, So to actually get someone that says, <clears throat> you know, you've, you've done something special here and I love this character and thank you very much, that gives you that, again, that dopamine hit to, to keep going. Um, so it's been amazing Brilliant. and in fact 
and I'm sorry if I'm waffling. Um, there was someone wrote a review about We Are the Dead, and there was a, a throwaway character that I'd forgotten I'd even mentioned, <laughs> and, and they were like, "Oh, I wonder if so and so is going to be revealed to be the big bad guy." And I was like, "Well, he's not," but I'd forgotten about this character, uh, and and I was I was halfway through writing until the last, and I was like, "But what happened to that character?" He, you know, that one line that I wrote as a throwaway, and he then became a major character <laughs> in the final book, and I actually went back and redid all the beginning bit, and it changed. It actually changes the whole over overlook of the book and how it's come <laughs> together. And it was purely down to one reviewer having a completely wrong idea about what could happen. But I'm not, I'm nicking that. I'm, that thank I you. love it. You totally have to get in contact with that reviewer. Oh, no, I've, I've, I, I oh, think I've him in the back of the was, book as well. I, I was going to say you know, that that just shows you the power. So folks, just remember, if you listen out there, if you've never reviewed a book on Amazon, go review it because you might change the course of an entire yeah, trilogy. You know, and the book bloggers and booktubers and all those, they're the most amazing people that do it again because they do it because they love books they're not getting paid and they uh, you know thank you every single person that's ever written i only get good reviews so it's good so but um <laughs> you know everyone who writes anything it's really appreciated good or bad yeah brilliant stuff mike well listen we we wish you all the best with until the last and and for people that are interested in finding out more about both of your alter egos um where would they go to do that mike on social media uh, i'm at mike shackle on twitter and instagram and all that kind of stuff mike morris doesn't tweet so much but he's at sci-fi mike morris on twitter but i, I can write it's two different people but trying to run social media stuff he really doesn't do too much anymore he's yeah, just yeah. you know it, it'll pop up so there's a new book coming out so, but, social uh, media is hard enough for one author let alone, yeah. let alone I, two I, so. I, I, and it's a it's a time suck and you know um yeah i don't know how people run all these different accounts and personalities and stuff well mike it's been an absolute pleasure sharing this journey with you this trilogy with you um seeing the extraordinary things that have happened and uh as mr d says i i know we know this is going to inspire writers out there to 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 you know knuckle down finish things and get stuff out there so thank you so much for for speaking to us and sharing that with us it's it's just amazing and all our very best sorry but thank you you know, I, I, no, but seriously, you know, you guys have literally changed my life. You know, all these books wouldn't exist without what you do. And I really appreciate the effort. And I know everyone else does that listens to what you do and the work you put into every episode. And thank you for that as well. Oh, thanks, That's man. very, very kind of you, Mike. Thank you so much. Oh, it's always lovely, lovely hearing stories like that, Mark, isn't it? Just uh, wonderful, wonderful stories. And I know that there's so many other people out there who... Uh, you know, have got similar stories to tell as well. And it just shows when you get in contact, you get these, you know, all kinds of things going to happen from book deals to interviews on this podcast. So congratulations <laughs> again, Mike. Absolutely brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It is fantastic. And it's going to be interesting to see how, as we mentioned, like how Mike's journey is going to continue over the next few years. I know that this is definitely not the, this is the end of a chapter, but it's the beginning of a, you know, what lies beyond. It's going to be very, very exciting for him. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, now um, I mentioned his artwork. Weirdly, Mike has been doing 
art. Uh, he's done a couple of pictures based on uh, scenes from The Crow Folk, which blew me away. I Absolutely saw them. Real, real they're great. Honor. Yeah, they're fantastic. Fantastic. Um, also, if the 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 stories that he did, the cartoon that he wrote about his daughter, uh, is now a book. It's called I Believe in Me, and it's on sale uh, on Amazon under the name Mike Arthur. I'll put a link in the show notes to that so you can download that so you can see those illustrations that he was talking about. But um, Mike is a massive talent, and uh, it's a pleasure to speak to him. Brilliant stuff. Well, we're running out of time, Mr. Stay, so yeah, I think we'll yeah. leave social media to next week, shall we? Yep, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Brilliant stuff. So let's just remind people where they can find out about uh, the podcast and all the other great things going on. Yes, come and find us at bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. We can drop us a line on Facebook. We're Bestseller Experiment. And Twitter and Instagram, we are at bestsellerxp. Please subscribe uh, with your podcast catcher. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Uh, whatever can help spread the word. Go to your book groups. Tell them about us. You know, maybe you could be on the show one day like Mike. Absolutely. And if you'd like to join in our free 200 word challenge, if you want to get the habit of a lifetime of writing, simply go along to 200wordchallenge.com. If you would like to get updates from us every week about the new episode, what you'll learn from it and all the great things happening at Bestseller HQ, pop along to the website and uh, that's bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the newsletter tab and pop your email in there. And finally, if you would like to get Mark and I as your coaches on an ongoing monthly basis, plus access to hundreds of hours of content, courses and more, pop along to academy.bestsellerexperiment.com and join us at the Bestseller Academy. So Mr. Stay, have a fantastic week. I hope you get a chance to rest and relax after the bonkers week that you had and uh and hopefully inspiring other people to get out there get out into the world folks think about your book launch even long before that final words of the end are written because you know this is where the rubber meets the road and you it really starts to take off you doesn't it so let's let's uh, hear about those stories as well if you're in the middle of doing one or if you've just done a book launch drop us a note tell us how it went we'd love to hear about it and maybe give you a mention on the podcast so mr stay have a great week sir you too sir have a good one Excellent. And it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Goodbye.